First of all, I'll take a message to Ray. It was nothing to do with his thing last week. Okay, his cost six ninety-nine. Mine costs about forty quid, and we still have the same problem we had last week. So it's nothing to do with Ray, and it's nothing to do with me. But we'll get there because Mark and I will be in tag team mode. Who remembers tag team wrestling? Yeah, you're very old. So this is uh, this tag team. Let's have the first picture on the screen. Thank you. We've been thinking over the last few months about names of God. And we've been thinking about God. We've been thinking about the Holy Spirit. And we've been thinking about Jesus. And there are loads and loads of names, some of which you see on the screen, for Jesus. I wonder how you regard him. What's your default position? Some of them are there. Savior, teacher, master. Lord of all, creator and sustainer of the universe, sometimes according to our songs, lover or friend. And this morning, we're going to explore the idea of Jesus as our friend. We're in sync. Well, at the time of the, uh, the Alpha course becoming uh, well-established in the sort of uh, 90s, late 90s, coming on towards 2000, there was a very popular television program, uh, Friends, and, and somehow that generation that were sort of uh, coming into adulthood during that period was known as the Friends generation, which leads me to ask the question, who do you regard as your friends? Do you, for example, have a best friend? For teenage girls, the identity of a BFF, best friend forever, can change on a weekly basis. Believe me, my granddaughter is 15. Or Facebook friends. How many of us are on Facebook? Please confess, and it helps us with our communications if we know. We're not going to have a sort of poll this morning, but some people I know have thousands of Facebook friends. Some have hundreds. How do you get a Facebook friend? Some of my Facebook friends I see regularly. Some I knew a long time ago, and that is really great to keep in touch with former colleagues, people that I once worked with, spent a lot of time with, to follow what's going on in their lives and they in mine. But some people I met once, and we became friends to share a holiday photo, and yet they're still Facebook Friends, friends of various grades and intensities. I like this cartoon, which hopefully will come there. Let me read it to you so that uh, anybody who's challenged can find out what it says. This guy says, I've got... Hey, there's a, sort of, there's a sort of delay factor. The guy on the left says, I've got hundreds of Facebook friends I've never met. And the, other old, the old guy, he looks like an old guy. We won't try and identify him with any person, living or dead. He says, when I was young, we called them imaginary friends. And there's some truth in that. Some people are friends. When we see them every few years, we haven't seen them in between. But when we see them, it's like as if you've never been a fart. My friend David came and visited us a few weeks ago, and he and I went out for the day on the Seven Valley Railway, and we've known one another for uh, several decades, probably 50 years, something like that, and uh, it was just as if we'd never been apart from one another, and perhaps you've got friends like that. Some people you regard as friends are maybe colleagues, former colleagues, or some maybe are just 
acquaintances, people that you would say hello to in the street. One of my former colleagues put on Facebook this morning, let's keep this topical, that as she's recently moved to Winchester, she's starting to feel at home because she went to an event at the cathedral in Winchester last night, and she was able to say hello to people that she recognized because she was settling into Winchester. We've done the same with Bridge North. You can hardly walk down the street without saying hello to somebody. But they're maybe not friends, just acquaintances. Some people court your friendship until they've got what you want from you. That's actually not very nice. Perhaps there's a one-sided friendship in which you make all the running. You're the one who always rings up and say, let's get together. And sometimes perhaps you get a little bit fed up with that. Or conversely, people who are wealthier than you, more influential than you, who reach out to you, who bless you, who really want the best for you. And words like sponsor, benefactor, or patron would come to mind. If you've got a friend like that, somebody who's really blessed you in that way that you don't deserve. Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament makes some telling observations on the nature of friendship. Here's the first one, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Some, some friends of ours have been very kind to uh, an older couple who were needing visits to hospitals and so on, and now that our friends have got themselves into some uh, difficulties within their family, real, real difficulties, the older couple says, perhaps you don't want to call us anymore, but you've got enough troubles of your own. Friends actually would be there for you in a time of adversity. You know who your friends are because they're there when you're in trouble. Or what about this one? Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Some people regard this as a prophetic reference to Jesus, but I believe that's actually to misunderstand the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs comprises considered wisdom, observations on life, the universe, and everything which hold true most of the time. And there are friends like that. Perhaps you've got friends who are closer to you than family members. Friendship ties greater than blood ties. However, that description, friend who sticks closer than a brother, certainly fits Jesus. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Let me tell you about Alice and Nettie. Two ladies. I've got here two aging ladies. I was just thinking about them. When, when this story takes place, probably they were about 50, so they weren't that old. They each had daughters who were like 21, and uh, they used to call one another Mrs. and Mrs. They didn't use their first names until they went on holiday together, and they thought they'd better call one another by their first names. And when they went on holiday together and started talking, they made a pact. They said, when we get older, if one of us starts to smell, the other has permission to let us know. You see that? The wounds that come from a friend. There's permission to do that. You can say that to a friend. You can't say that safely to somebody who's not your friend. I, I took a, a mission trip to uh, upstate New York a number of years ago with some people from my church in Glasgow, and one of the guys that I took with me had a terrible, terrible BO problem. And although he was a 
member of the church along with me and all of that sort of thing, there was no way that I could say to him, John, you stink. So instead, I tried to uh, drop hints. The people that we were going with said, have breath mints available when you're talking to people. So I talked to my team about the breath mints, and I said, maybe we want to get a good deodorant too. And his response was, they're even telling us what kind of BO basher to use at the moment. But he wasn't my close friend, so I couldn't be direct with him and say, John, get yourself something to take that smell away. A facet of true friendship is being able to share unpalatable personal information, but also to receive it without being offended. Here's the question today. Is Jesus our friend? Our worship songs assume that Jesus is, although I listened carefully, Emily, and none of the songs this morning use that word friend. But many of us will remember, what a friend we have in Jesus. Give me a wave. It's a bit like the tag team wrestling. goes back probably the same group of people who remember, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Or what about this one? There's a friend for little children above the bright blue sky. Probably an older group remember that one. Okay, much thinner. It's one of a genre of hymn written in a time more familiar with infant mortality than ours, which was trying to encourage people and comfort people and saying, yeah, your child has gone to be with Jesus, the best friend of all. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. More recently, what a friend I've found. And yet I think I'm right on this, as I've studied this particular subject and looked carefully at it, which should be a straightforward subject and one that would be easy to get a hold of. Jesus, our friend, I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where someone describes Jesus as their friend. Check it out. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm open to being wrong. There was one person that Jesus addressed as a friend. Do you know who it was? I haven't got any sweets to throw at you. Do you know who it was, the one person Jesus directly addressed as friend? You might get a shock. It was Judas Iscariot. The one person that Jesus referred to directly as friend. Directly. Friend. Go and do what you've got to do quickly. And it's there on the screen. Now, we'd assume that Jesus had lots of friends. But were they all his friend to the same degree? It's a little bit like Facebook. There were multitudes. There were the 72 that he sent out. There were the 12 close associates. There were three that were even closer. And there was one who referred to himself habitually as the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple called John. Although I've often thought of that and wondered if every disciple, because of the love that Jesus showed for his disciples, everybody could feel that and say that. What about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? John 11, 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the response of onlookers at Jesus' reaction to Lazarus, who was now dead, was, see how he loved him. Our friend Lazarus. And the home in Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus 
lived seems to be a particular place where Jesus could feel at home, where Jesus could put his feet up, where Jesus could be himself. Then, of course, Jesus had charges laid against him to do with the people that he spent time with. He's a friend of sinners. He was criticized for spending time with tax collectors, with loose women on the one hand, and with Pharisees on the other. Jesus was criticized for the people with whom he appeared to be friends. He received little children. He engaged with leprosy sufferers. He showed love and welcome to all kinds of people. But again, I ask the question, in what sense could they be called his friends? It's been fashionable over the last couple of decades to talk about friendship evangelism a response to a ghettoized Christianity where Christians have ceased to have non-Christian friends. That's a real danger. Bonfire Night, 1985. Our church in Glasgow was involved in a week of mission with a visiting evangelist. Our bonfire and barbecue were so successful, we had to halve the burgers, and a fireman in the congregation had to hose the building down so that the building didn't catch Fire. Not only was the bonfire going well, the burger eating was going well, and our back patio was absolutely shoulder to shoulder, and the evangelist refused to give his prepared talk. He observed the relationship building going on between the church and community, and he said, I don't want to blow this. So he simply said, the message on fireworks is handled with care. Life's a bit like that. When you need help, hang around these people. It was years later, because that was the first year I was in that church. I was pastor of that church for 13 years, and it was years later a man knocked on my door. I, I vaguely knew him. His kids and my kids were at school together. And I sometimes saw him in the morning walking his little dog along the road as I went to the paper shop and as he followed on with his kids to school. His life was apparently in a mess. We talked and we prayed together. And before he left the house, I said to him, Alec, as a matter of interest, why did you come to me? And he said, it was years ago. You had this bonfire at your church, and it wasn't for anything. It was for us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people reacted like that to what Mark's been talking about, the Take a Break, Take a Kick Cat initiative next Sunday? Now, the passage we've read today, John 15, 9 to 17, is the one record we have in which Jesus spells out the nature of his friendship with his disciples. Here is something that we overlook. I certainly overlooked it until I looked at this subject. It's only in the upper room on the night when he was betrayed that Jesus makes the transition from describing his relationship with the disciples from master-servant to friendship. I found that quite shocking. I find it quite shocking because of the assumptions that I've made through the years that I've been reading the Bible and listening to talks about Jesus and the idea of Jesus being our friend. It was only on that last night that Jesus said, no longer master disciple, but now I call you friends. It's worth thinking about that. When I said to Ruth, or Ruth realized that I was talking about Jesus, our friend. She said, it'll be all coochie-coo. I said, this is going to go not going to be a coochie-coo talk. 
Because when Jesus talks about friendship, it's not coochie-coo. When Jesus talks about friendship, it's not about dictionary definition. When Jesus talks about friendship, he redefines or he defines friendship in the way in which Jesus will be friends with you and I. A friend of mine, Dave Cave, the late Dave Cave, he was a friend of mine. I, I, I met him uh, when we were older, but he decided we were brothers from another mother. Uh, I grew up in the streets of Anfield in Liverpool, and he had a church in a house uh, just down the road from Liverpool Football Club. And uh, he talked about what was going on in that area where I had grown up. He wrote this book, Jesus is Your Best Mate. I read it, and there were tears in my eyes when I read it because it described the streets in which I had grown up as, as inner-city gangland, uh, gun battles, and so on. And Dave's book was called Jesus is Your Best Mate. And I need to ask the question, is this how the disciples viewed Jesus? Is this how we should view Jesus? What did Jesus' disciples call him? They called him Master. They didn't call him Mate. In the Old Testament, only two people are described as friends with God, Abraham and Moses. Which suggests to me, because of the infrequency of that description, that friendship with God is not to be taken with lightly. And friendship with Jesus is friendship with God. Intimacy must be tempered with respect, sense of privilege, a thing of wonder, not to be tainted with over-familiarity or carelessness. And in this passage, Jesus makes three points about friendship. And this is the definition of friendship when we talk about Jesus, our friend. Here's number one. Friendship involves self-giving. Verse 13 of the passage that was read to us, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let's explore that for a moment. Did Jesus lay down his life for you? Then you're counted among his friends. Is that actually true? I've heard myself say on occasion, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, and then he did it, but not only for his friends, for his enemies as well, because in that particular act, there's the potential for enemies to become friends. We're not automatically his friends because on a hill far away in space and time and history, he died in our place taking the punishment for our sins. In so doing, he opened up the way for us to become friends with God. When previously, according to the New Testament, uh, and if Emily had read on in the beginning of Ephesians, we would see we were his enemies. Somehow, the atoning death of Jesus on the cross needs to be applied to our life before we can legitimately call God our friend, indeed our Father, or regard Jesus as our friend. So Jesus says more. Verse 14, friendship with Jesus involves obedience. You are my friends if you do what I command. On the face of it, this is a strange basis for friendship. What kind of friendship is this if it's based on one party calling the shots? I'll be your friend, but only on my terms. 
When I first became a minister, I was in a three-year probationer scheme, after which I became what the Baptists call fully accredited. But during that three-year period, I was assigned a senior friend whose role was to encourage me and to be a point of reference when I got stuck. Nowadays, they call such people mentors. But back in the 80s, certainly in Scotland, senior friend was the title. A senior friend. Is there a sense in which we can think of Jesus as our senior friend. As we recognize this, our friendship relationship with Jesus is unequal. He's not only friend, but he's Lord. He legitimately calls the shots. And in John 14, 5, also in the upper room, the night on he was betrayed, the night before he died on the cross, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does it mean? I believe it means that obedience to Jesus' expectations or commands will be the evidence of our love for him. Similarly here, the evidence that you are my friend, says Jesus, will be seen in your adherence to my commands. He's very definitely the senior friend, the senior partnership in this relationship. And here's the third thing Jesus said. Friendship involves disclosure or openness. John 15, 15 I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So we look at the analogy of human friendship. In human friendship, we will share things with our friends that we won't share more widely. This is between us. We will share our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, our disappointments. We'll use one another as sounding boards for actions that we may take. We'll value one another's opinion or judgment. But is this the case with our friendship with Jesus? Does he value our opinion or does he always know best? I think the analogy of human friendship breaks down. For friendship with Jesus is different with friends, from friendship with anyone else because of who he is. He's opened himself up to his disciples, especially to Peter, James, and John, who've observed his vulnerabilities, even his doubts. As Jesus prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In Philippians 2, we read Jesus emptied himself. But the Jesus who we regard as our friend no longer harbors doubts or wrestles with vulnerabilities. He's the exalted Lord, so he doesn't need our opinions. On the contrary, he wants us to align our ambitions with his. This friendship is uneven. It's lopsided. We're the beneficiaries, and yet incomprehensibly, curiously, just as the Lord sought a relationship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, so Jesus chooses to have a friendship with us. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So having looked at what Jesus said about friendship, is Jesus your friend this morning? Have you acknowledged that he laid down his life for you so that you might have a relationship with the Father, so that you might know forgiveness of sin, so that you might experience life to the full in the here and now, stretching on through eternity? He laid down his life for you. Are you prepared to lay down your life for him? 
Brothers and sisters in a number of nations are doing this literally in the context of persecution. It may even come to that even in our nation, but in our situation now, are you prepared in response to Jesus' ultimate act of friendship in laying down his life for you? Are you prepared to lay aside your personal ambitions, dreams, and hopes to live a life to his glory? You're my friends if you do what I say. With any other friendship, that would be manipulative, abusive, walk-away time, but this is friendship with Jesus. And as our Creator and Redeemer, He has the right to expect our unquestioning obedience, not begrudgingly, but as a response of love. Simon Peter had a very bumpy learning curve. The Gospels record a situation in which Peter tried to tell Jesus what was best for him. Do you remember Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. Friends of Jesus don't try to tell him what's best for him. Friends of Jesus do what he requires. And lastly, friends of Jesus receive revelation from him as to what the Father is doing. We're let in on the mystery of the universe. How does this happen? Through his word and through his indwelling spirit, sometimes called the spirit of Christ. It's as we read his word, as we intentionally spend time with him, that we will grasp what his father and our father is up to. So how do we square off in terms of friendship with Jesus? To what extent is Jesus our friend? Is he like a Facebook friend? Is he like a now and then friend? Is he like a distant acquaintance or is he a constant companion through the changing scenes of life's journey? He literally wants to be your BFF, your best friend forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we make assumptions as to what your word says. Help us, Father, to be those who would actually read your word, study it, and respond to it, and to uh, weigh other things against your word, not to weigh your word against other things that we may read or hear. Father, friendship with Jesus is a serious business. We thank you that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. We thank you that he laid down his life for us. Help us, Father, to lay down our lives in service of him. Father, it sounds hard to say uh, Jesus calls the shots, and that's an act of friendship, but that's what he said. His nature of friendship is that he calls the shots, and we do what he says. Father, recognizing who Jesus is, your Son, the exalted Lord, help us to have the grace to do what he says. And Father, may you open up things to us, mysteries of things unseen, that we might be able to live lives which glorify you, that we might be able to see more than we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. May we see with the eyes and ears of faith. May we see with those spiritual eyes and ears the things that you want to reveal to us. And we thank you, Father, that friendship with Jesus, your Son, goes on into eternity. Thank you that this Jesus can be our best friend forever. Amen.